welcome to the very first live episode of Too Legitimate to Quit, instantly actionable small business strategies with a pop culture spin. I am your host, Annie P. Ruggles, and okay, the word live is complicated. No, I am not currently recording this part in front of other people, but I recently had the overwhelming pleasure of attending Chicago's own Fan Expo, a.k.a. Comic-Con, formerly Wizard World, uh, here out at the Donald E. Stevenson Convention Center in lovely Rosemont, Illinois. And I got to go and interview a whole bunch of incredible, powerful, fabulous, zany, nerdtacular, brilliant, tenacious artists. And I asked them what it's like to live their lives on that crossroads of so many things, of pop culture and art, but also of business and sales and hustle. And, you know, a lot of people go to these cons and they're there to see the celebrities. And believe me, I did. Yes, I met both Billy Boyd and Dominic Monaghan. And yes, it was incredible. But I really wanted to get to know the people behind the booths, the vendors, again, the makers, the people who take the fandoms and transform them into something new. So I hope you'll enjoy the series of short interviews, a little bit different in format, but each artist has a message for you about what we can learn from one of their favorite fandoms, plus a bit of their own story. I hope you'll hang out uh, through a couple a little bit of rough patches of audio. Uh, as I said, I was on a live convention floor and uh, I was doing my best 1980s microphone TV broadcaster handling where I would put the mic in their face and then forget to bring it back. So listen, if you can sit through that, I know that you will be dazzled and amazed by what these artists have to share. And for a visual companion of this episode, including the art that we're mentioning, as we mention it, make sure you check the show notes. Just like a normal episode, though, I will be back at the end with my final thought to tie this all up and, of course, give you some homework for this week. Enjoy my time at Fan Expo Chicago. So who are you and where do we find your stunningly fabulous art online? Uh, I am Alexandra Brat Illustration, and you can find my work on alexandrabrat.com, and it is B-R-O-D-T for that last name. Not based on anything having to do with any relevance of the podcast at all. I just want to thank you and congratulate you for being the only person in this entire show with Laura Olympus anything. Well, thank you. Um, I'm a major fan of it, and uh, I, I love Rachel's work. And, and Rachel loves us. We love you, Rachel. We love you so much. All right, but we'll get to that in a second. So you have this gorgeous variety of art spanning all kinds of different things. I see Miyazaki of all varieties. You've got these incredible Hobbit doors. You've been to Hobbiton. You've got all of these amazing pieces. Laura Olympus, we already talked about. How did you come to this world of art and pop culture and business? Well, um, I started doing anime and comic conventions 15 years ago. Um, started tabling at them. And I just, I'd always loved, you know, nerdy things. I started out, like, loving, you know, Saturday morning cartoons and everything when I was a kid. Couldn't stop drawing. 
And then uh, anime kind of started to become a thing when I was in middle school, you know, like 20 years ago. <laughs> How has the con life changed in the last 15 years? I mean, nerd culture has changed exponentially in the last several years, but how has being here, tabling, and showing art evolved? Well, definitely, um, we have more products available to us. Uh, so, as I was also a graphic designer for eight years full-time, um, and I'm definitely, I prefer illustration, but uh, product design is definitely one of my passions because now we get to, as small artists, uh, like order minimums for like enamel pins or keychains or like microfiber cleaning cloths, washi tape, like all these wonderful things that you could never have available for your table um, are available to us now. And so that's the biggest change I've seen. A lot of a lot more color, a lot more vertical height in the artist alley. Um, whenever I started doing cons, everyone just had like uh, a flat table, like me. It was like the black tablecloth that was uh, provided by the con and then a uh, portfolio book of like crappy eight and a half by 11 Kinko's. Oh, that's how old, that's a, yep. how old I am. But FedEx Kinko's prints. Um, and then my really terrible uh, $20 full color Copic commissions on yep. the spot. You know, like that's all anyone could do is sell prints out of a book and do on the spot commissions. And you could see clear across the floor even at Acon in Texas, which is wild. Um, so yeah, it's just, I don't know, everything looks so professional now. It's insane. Hell yeah, it's legit as shit. You and I have a shared, I mean, we, we share a lot. I'm, I'm in your booth right now, and we share a lot. I mean, there's Fire Nation over there, and I'm just freaking out every time I look. Uh, is there a small business lesson that you can pull out of a movie or a character that you love? Oh, I mean, so much. Um, I mean, of course, I have Kiki's Deliver Service, but then I also, because you just brought up, I have a Zuko print. Yep. I also have some Uncle Iroh merch. Um, I actually did these three enamel pins, because you can see this on an audio format, of course. Um, <laughs> I can see it. <laughs> yeah. It's glittery. It's shiny. You want one. Um, but yeah, so actually I got to meet Greg Baldwin, who's the second Iro in Aku yes. after he took over from Mako. Right. And uh, he commissioned me to do some uh, t-shirt designs and some merch for him. So these enamel pins that I'm holding um, are actually like at his merch tables and at mine. So, but the lesson I can take here is the Jasmine Dragon, of course. Yes. Uncle Iro's yes. tea shop. Absolutely. And that's all about how you treat people. Oh, absolutely. Right? You can be any nation heaven any day but if you go in and you sit down for tea you're going to be treated with respect and you're going to have some good conversation mm -hmm. and some lovely warm perfectly prepared tea and not only that but Iroh's whole take even with his bending and just his very like livelihood and how he lives is he would always take in other cultures other stories from people and open his mind to the world and utilize that in his own like bending and his own business and just that is honestly the best lesson any of us can take yes. in the world be inspired and allow it to inspire your work yeah and practice and practice because maybe you can stop making hot leaf juice like yes. Zuko yes and be an Iroh yes I mean at the beginning of it Zuko could barely bend either that's true. And he had to practice that too? Yep. And now, spoiler y'all, it's Fire Lord Zuko, so deal with that shit. 
Oh my gosh. Alex, I love your work. Thank you so much for sitting down with me today. Thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. Hello, who the heck are you? I am Andrew Heath, and I'm a graphic designer and illustrator from Kentucky. Hell yes, Kentucky. Yeah. So, uh, where can we find your art online? You can find my art at www.andrew-heath.com. Andrew, we love your art. It is so bold, Thank so you. bright, so colorful, and yet so delightfully minimalistic. Yeah. It's just the art for art's sake, but it's your spin on it. How did you come to this beautiful blend of business and art and pop and life and all of it? Yeah, so about... I've always been doing art, and uh, I went to school for design. I'm a graphic designer by trade, and I've always been into old vintagey design, like muted colors, minimal, like packaging and stuff like that. And I kind of took that ideology and just mixed it with pop culture. And about ten years ago, I started doing the rounds, and then I was able to quit my job, my full-time job, after a year, and just I've been doing freelance ever since. That's unbelievable. Yeah. I am extremely excited because among all of the wonders that are coming into my home after this event, um, we have one of your prints that my husband has dubbed Organic Godzilla as opposed to Mecha Godzilla. But in your own fandom, has there been a particular piece of pop culture or a character or a story that has been especially helpful for your marketing, sales, or business? You know, just... I love it all. It's it's hard to like pinpoint anything in particular. I'm a huge Ghostbusters fan. Good for you. Uh, yeah, thank you. But like just video games, movies, just all of it just really speaks to me, and I just I just love to create art for it. And and I always say people ask me like, what do you like? Why do you do this? Like I do it for me. More like I don't care what anybody else likes. I make these for me, and if there's crossover, then you can buy a print. Like I've made plenty of things that don't do well but like I love it and like it's just nice to get that out there you know well, when you do find the person that gets more lit up by that one rare piece than anybody else it's like finding family it really is it, it really is that's that's very true well thank you so much for sitting down with me and also thank you for over the week you are the only reason I knew that Game Boys used to run on batteries yeah so thank you for educating me the media you are welcome I appreciate you, and your art is stunning. Tell Thank us again where so we can much. find you online. www.andrew-heath.com and on Instagram at at Andrew Heath Design. fan freaking tastic yeah. Thank you, Andrew. You're welcome. So you and I are actually like proper pals. Correct. But let's pretend that we weren't. Okay. Who are you, and where do we find your magical art online? Okay, so my name is Brian Edelman. I am technically the full-on owner. Sometimes I let my husband do some art too, of Frankenwork Studios. I can be found on social media as Frankenwork Studios, and um, we have a website also, www.frankenworkstudios. So how did you come to combine your love of shiny, beautiful things, and horror, and weird things, and pop culture, and beautiful art all in one? How did you come to your style? So it started with, sadly enough, my uncle passing and leaving me a small inheritance and going to my husband and going, hey, I got this money. We don't really need it for bills and stuff. We're currently caught up. What can I do that might better things? So I decided to take metalsmithing classes. And I started with the metalsmithing classes and it's like, hey, I have fun. I My first piece I ever did was um, a symbol from Mad Max Fury Road. and. That was my first piece. My second piece was a uh, face hugger from Aliens, because as I'm into these things. Mind you, the other women in class are making 
triangles and arrows and nope, no, no, I am not your typical craft show person. And um, so I started making that. But the problem is, is that I hate making things and just letting them sit around my house. So we were trying to figure out how I can continue to keep creating and maybe at least make my money back from the materials I buy. And then it became, I was half of my table at my first show was vintage items because I've been into vintage jewelry forever. And then the other half was stuff I had made. And now I'm more, well, this weekend I'm everything I've made outside of the couple things my husband has. So here's the thing I've noticed, especially with this weekend at Fan Expo, um, there's a lot of seasoned artists here, and um, they do their wall art, and that's all they do, and it's great, and it's lovely. However, people only have a finite amount of space for wall art, and they make big wall art. A lot of these artists only have 11 by 17 prints. You only have so much space. So in my case, I purposely view con culture specifically, because it's so expensive to go to cons, as... I want to make something that is affordable because I used to be the broke con goer and I wanted to make something cute because a lot, especially at horror cons, there's nothing for children or not much. And so I wanted to make things cute and still spooky because I am not a serious spooky person. I'm pretty fluffy when it comes to spooky, although I love dark and horror and all that. So I make family friendly horror and accessories that might appeal to witchy types, horror types. Sometimes soccer moms. Yeah, I mean, soccer moms got darkness. They do, or they want witchy protection because they know what a tiger's eye moment does. And yeah, yeah um, the other thing I love now, which has only been around for a few years, are I wood burn, and I also do keychains. And these children, and I say that because they're all like teenagers, these children are in love with these keychains because they're allowed to display their pride colors without necessarily their parents freaking out. Absolutely. So. Right? Exactly. Fandom it, has always been about declaring yourself through togetherness of otherness, right? So mm -hmm. I love that you've brought in the pride elements, and I'm looking at it right now, and I have a picture of this audience, so you'll know. But you're, it's more than just fandom now; it's also pride. So I love that. From horror, from all of your spooky fabulousness, from your life as the occasional Stay Puff goddess of glory, <laughs> is there an influence from your own fandom that you uh, use to inspire your marketing or your sales? Um, yeah, so I will go, when I make things, I tend to gravitate to making things that aren't the commonly seen. Like, yes, Hot Topic has Beetlejuice things everywhere, but nobody's created the pattern I came up with, which was an Ouroboros style of sandworm. And then, so I like to do things that other people haven't done for fandoms. With my ghosts, I do research. Did anybody sculpt anything that looks like that? Did anybody do anything like my face magnets that I do? I try to do things that people aren't doing um, because there's always holes and there's always that one fan that's just looking for that one thing. And a lot of times it's the Mad Max because nobody does Mad Max. So it's just one of those, I try to find the holes and try to fill them in a way that fits my branding and the and the sub and the you know pop culture reference that I'm going for. I love it. I love it. And I love you. And I love you too. And it's not weird to say because we are friends in real life, listeners. We really are. We are. Thanks for sitting down with me today. Absolutely, anytime. Hi, who are you? Hi, my name is Daryl Young. I live in the suburbs of Chicago. I live in Villa Park. 
which is about 20 minutes west of downtown Chicagoland. Magnificent. And tell us about your art, please. Uh, the art that I have uh, at uh, comic conventions and uh, conventions in the Midwest area is um, based on my love and admiration for comic books of the 60s, 70s, and 80s. So uh, I have a lot of superhero pinups. I have some kaiju, like Godzilla pinups. Uh, so I grew up reading comics and watching movies in the 70s and the 80s. And uh, that's just the era I pretty much stopped developing mentally. And <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all gravitate toward them? Like, my musical taste ended in the 90s. Yeah, it's, I think it's just what you love, like, probably, like, as a teenager or, like, maybe, like, in your 20s or, mm -hmm. like, something that makes a real impact on you. So um, that's the kind of art I like to do. I also carry a line of um, presidential pins based on characters from pop culture, such as comic books, uh, cartoons, comic strips, movies, um, and I grew up in the era like reading like Crack Magazine, Mad Magazine, Wacky Packages, stuff like that. So uh, my presidential pins might say like um, uh, Godzilla for president, and then the little tag would be King of the Monsters or something We've like that. We bought Mr. Bill for president, running on the platform of, oh no! Yes, from the 70s, Saturday Night Live, yeah. Yeah, so stuff like that. So that, that's a lot of fun. I just I try to have fun with the work I do that I uh, show at conventions. And where can we find your work online? Uh, you can look up a Daryl Young Design, and you'll, I'll probably pop up on Instagram, Facebook. I have an Etsy shop. Uh, just look up Daryl Young Design, and I'll, I'll pop up on Google for you. So you've been a fan of multiple things, especially comics, for a really long time. Is there a particular business lesson that we can pull out of a piece of pop culture that you love? Sure, I would say uh, my idol since I was probably about seven or eight years old was Jack Kirby. So I was a fan of Jack Kirby before, you know, everybody jumped on the bandwagon and said, oh, we love Jack Kirby. <laughs> um, so, I, and that was back in the mid seventies. I, I fell in love with Jack Kirby. And what I liked about Jack Kirby was uh, he did things his own way. You know, he might take an idea from the past, either something like, he, you know, he would even recycle ideas of his own or take something from pop culture, but he always put his own twist on it. He always did it his own way. And that's what I really admired about his artwork. And I think that's something that we all have to kind of find within ourselves is you could take something, it's not bad to take something that's out there, but just give it your own twist, uh, add your personality to it. So that's... Uh, He's been a real guidepost for me, just, just in life general. Magnificent. Well, thank you so much for your time today, and I hope you make lots of money on this last day of the show. Thank you so much. Who the heck are you? I'm Drew Blank. Hi, Drew. Hi. I am fangirling the freak out over your incredible art, fake records, but real art. Um, Y'all, there's going to be pictures in the show notes. Uh, I mean, there's also going to be pictures all over my house because I'm buying all of this. It is such an incredible blend. You want these albums to be real, but they're not. But they can live in our heart. So, Drew, art, business, pop, detail, all of it. How did you come together to create this style that's so very much your own? It's a little combination of everything. I've been doing the convention circuit for about 12 years, been a professional artist for about that long. And for me, it was, uh, for a few years I was doing minimalism art, like poppy, chasing fads, doing whatever's cool and popular, and it just got exhausting. 
too old to know what's cool anymore. I'm too old to care what's cool. <laughs> I, I know. Like, I was just on a Hot Topic the other day, and this fabulous, well-meaning employee, he was wearing a System of a Down shirt, and he was like, how do you like the Machine Gun Kelly cover? And my husband goes, I'm too old to care. Oh. And that's how I feel about a lot of popular things. But then when I come into your booth, you got my Rex Manning over here. Yeah. And I'm like, as long as I've got my 90s, I'm fine. I, grew, I mean, I have three teenagers at home, and there they're they're like, you should do this, and you should. I'm like, that's a meme. I don't, I don't, I don't do memes. I'm not a meme artist. I'm like, oh my goodness. And like, one of them is an anime kid, and I'm like, I don't know anime. I'm sorry. And, no. But like, I, that's why like I only do the stuff that I like really, really love now. When I started doing the records, because I'm like a vinyl collector, and like I love, like I love packaging. I love, I love when something like looks old and like worn and so I can do that with my art but I, like really the most important thing is just doing the stuff that I really really love so I can put in like small details that like only a true fan would be like oh my god you exactly. you, you like you know like I have a Fozzie the Bear album and like on the copyright address it's just the town that Jim Henson grew up in so oh, I mean it's just it's on. all the little things that's like, gorgeous yeah it's the detail that shows the depth of fandom and it's also like when people come into my booth and they want to fan out about something, it's something I know I'm going to want to geek out with you about. Like it, when you're when people are like chasing a fad or trying to figure out what's cool, it's like you get the people like they want to fan out with you and you're like, oh, I just did that for money. I just yes. did that because it's like I don't I, I don't know. Well, there's a Janet Snakehole, Burt Macklin. I remember when I was here three years ago, there was a couple and they're very much was a guy who was so into being Burt Macklin. <laughs> and then I went up and I said something in character to Janet Snakehole and she looked at me like I just had three heads. And I was like, honey, have you seen Parks and Rats? She was just being dragged along. She was just being She's dragged along. <laughs> the point is, you don't make art for drag-alongs. No, I don't want to. You make art wanna... for yourself, your fandom, and to see that fandom reflected. I Frick do the yeah. stuff that I love, and it's just... And there's some things that I love so much that I can't, like, there are things I've had in the works for years that just, every time I revisit it, I'm like, it's just not good enough. Or like, it, I love this too much for it to just be, you know, like, meh, that doesn't cut it. So, like, I won't put when anything out there. Yeah, like, eventually it'll come to life. Evolve, and when it comes, it'll, it'll be just perfectly time for a resurgence of that thing. Exactly. Something will happen, <laughs> it'll, get, it'll be a reunion, you know, they'll be here at a con and it'll be great. Um, as a business owner and a professional artist, is there a pop culture character that you can pull business inspiration from? A business character that I can pull? Or, or any character that you can pull any business inspiration from? Oh, that's a tough one. I don't know. I mean, my ultimate, you know, business hero is Jimmy James from News Radio. Tell me more. That is my absolute favorite show of all time even though it's got some pretty canceled people on there now, but they still, <laughs> like, you know what, Joe Rogan in the 90s, he was a different guy. But I mean, like, Johnny Depp in the 90s was a different guy. We well, don't have yeah. to deal with the 90s being the 90s. Exactly. I mean, it's not like he's a Cosby. I mean, let's no. face it, we can't do that. But No. Um, as far as, like, business, like, I don't even know. Like, I really, um, I always find I, you know, like, end up relating to, like, different people all, like, you know, just... Whenever there's like a, you know anything with creatives or what have you, like my most recent, um, like really heavy cry about like an artist was um, I was watching Tick Tick Boom. Oh, 
whole Jonathan Mars thing. And like that whole concept of spending, and like, because I'm a writer as well, and like I've spent 10 years writing a book, and then like when you get it out there, you're like, hey, it's time for the next one. And I'm like, oh no, yeah, that's, that's the worst. Like, I just, I get it. Like, it's, I relate to that it's on so it's many. It's a death and a birth and a graduation all rolled into one. So I, that's why I kind of like art is because I can keep it around. It's like yeah. it's, I'm done and then it's still up here and people can enjoy it for as long as I don't get tired of it. And you go into <laughs> homes all around the world and can be That's really the fascinating thing is like, because I've sold, I mean, just the records alone, you know, I've sold, uh, I mean, tens of thousands mm -hmm. so it's like I'm in so many houses like tens I'm in tens of thousands tens of homes. of thousands of homes if you were on TV that'd be a hit yeah think about it that way not in the 90s well you're not a hit for be. me now aww <laughs> thank you for sharing your art with us thank you for sharing your process with us I can't wait like I said to buy absolutely all of this and listeners you gotta find it fake records real art with Drew Blank Y'all, the details alone. Don't just look at the pictures far away. Get in there, get close up, look at those details. Thank Stick you, Drew. Your head in there. Stick nope. your head in there. <laughs> hey, Marcelo, who are you? Um, my name is Marcelo. I am a comic artist. I am an artist. I love to draw and I just love making art. You can find my stuff on Twitter, Instagram. I have a link tree. I'm mostly. You can find me at. Uh, Marcelo Bot on Twitter and Instagram at the Marcelo Bot, and my website is the Marcelo because I'm the Marcelo. Oh, yes. You know, <laughs> I mean you are the Marcelo. You made and I had to buy my favorite piece of art in this entire con because so I never happy. expected to see it. <laughs> you made a Tu Wong Fu Thanks for Everything Julie Newmar poster, and I saw it. And I flipped a shit because when you find someone that loves the obscure corners of your fandom that aren't obscure to you, exactly. that matters even more. So with everything you're doing, how did you come to this pop art business world? So basically, uh, I, I've been working on comics all my life. I've been drawing since I was little. Uh, I've always been trying to find a way to break, quote unquote, break in to see... Uh, like what I can sell uh, and what from what I make and comics is one thing but I have a friend who has suggested to me over the years he's, he's my brother's best friend and he's become a best friend of mine and he's just like you should do uh, movie prints and I was like I love that I love I, I love seeing the illustrated newly illustrated art for old movies so he was basically first thing he shot me was Clue. He's like, people love the Clue movie. And I, I was mean, like, I love the Clue always movie. Always and forever. Yeah, yeah, I love the Clue movie. So that's one of my favorite films of all time. And then we've done Heathers, we've done Rocky Horror Picture Show. And then me and my partner watched uh, Tu Wong Fu together because we've never seen it together. And I was like, I love this movie. And uh, my friend Raphael, he was just, you should make a print. And I was like, oh my God, yes, you know? One of the things I love about Tu Wong Fu is just, it's it's people you don't expect to be in drag. Yes. And they do such a fantastic job of it and as well. And a respectful job. Yeah, exactly. It's not making fun of it or anything. So yeah, Tu Wong Fu, I, I wanted to make a triptych and just like, we've been watching Drag Race like every season. We caught up with every season this year. 
and I love the artistry of it, and I love how uh, Tu Wangfu portrays it. So, like, making a print was was wonderful, you know? It, it was just, I love the Strawberry Festival, I love, I wanted to incorporate that in the piece. I love the characters, Chi-Chi, Noxzema Jackson, yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm so glad, like, people are finding it, people are resonating with it. I just love it. It's yeah. a perfect movie. I mean, especially now that Patrick Swayze is gone. Like, yeah, for real. It's such a beautiful gift of a film. Exactly. And I also, honestly, total t- like total side note about Tuan Fu, but I really think growing up with that movie made me absolutely violently allergic to homophobia. <laughs> In that I was like, I mean, that's the cop, he's the bad guy, hell yeah. he's a homophobe, the rest of the town is the heroes, they love them, exactly. that must be how I want to be. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's a life lesson. Is there a business lesson that you have pulled out of a piece of pop culture or fandom that you love? When you asked me that question, I was like, I don't know how to answer that, but one thing came in my head. Empire Records. Hell yes, damn, damn. save the empire. Save the empire. Uh, it's basically um, that movie is surround yourself with people who are passionate about the same things that you are, and you lift them up, and they will lift you up. Yes. Yeah. So and take care of each other. Take care of each other. Exactly. You know, you promote their work, they promote your work. It just becomes like a crossbreed of like spreading the word. You know, uh, that final scene where they're just like hustling to tell people about the final show of the of the Empire. And just like that's one of my biggest favorite things about uh, doing art is you're all in this together. You're all working together to, to sell your stuff. If if someone doesn't uh, find something from your catalog that they like, you probably have a suggestion for them or or your friends have a suggestion for them that's you you know it go it goes back and forth it's it's the camaraderie of it all uh, I, that's that's one of my favorite things of, of Empire Records just like lifting each other up so say no more, <laughs> more. oh my god wow. yeah <laughs> that was utterly perfect thank you so much for your time today thank you so much and thank you for like making art on all my favorite movies Oh, no problem. We got more coming. Yay! I want an Empire record. I will. Yay! I'll do it. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you so much. Marcus King of Comics and Coffee. That's right. Who are you? Well, what are you doing here? And how do we find you online? Well, I am an independent comic creator and writer. And you can find me at soulbullet.com. And my books are really about uh, fantasy and fiction. I love how you brought so many different styles and ages and, you know, also just you've got coffee, you've got comics, you've got notebooks, you've got it all. How did you come to this intersection of so many different styles and, and stories and into creating your own universe? Well, I think the business aspect of that is, for me, uh, I like to create mm-hmm. and I also realized that to do what I want to do with these shows and these books, I need a more merchandise and product. Mm-hmm. So the best way to do that is to market yourself and your creative abilities. So uh, that goes into my coffee. My coffee was uh, a product of my Dragon Story that came together. And um, 
my tumblers and everything else I have here is all related to just creating, actually just, just creating my own product line. It's unbelievable. In your own fandom, is there a business lesson that you've learned along the way that you could pull out of pop culture or maybe did you discover a business lesson through creating your work? You know, that's a good question. I think the most important thing I learned business-wise was how to market and sell my products. I think that uh, in this industry, you have to really be able to, to hone in on the different aspects of what you're producing and to make that uh, into a, a marketing aspect so that you can sell your product. So that, that's what I've really learned more than anything to be a, I think an entrepreneur is, is the best way I can say it yeah. of, of a little bit of creating everything to, 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 pull, to pull stuff together. And wearing all the hats. Absolutely. Everyone. Every single hat. Everyone, every day. Including <laughs> fantasy hats. Absolutely. Including crowns, wizard hats, giant swords, all of it on fire. Marcus, thank you so much for sitting down with me today, and I hope you have a wonderful last day at the con. Absolutely. Thank you so much. So hi, who are you? Hi, I'm Meg Earhart. And where can we find your majestic, beautiful, glorious bling online? Shop Sparkle Designs, all one word, dot com. So your stuff, you have so much beautiful jewelry and art and life all around. But one thing that I love that's so unique to your work, especially here at this con, is you use so many quotes. Yes. So I, too, am a lover of words, and I love a good quote. And when I see it, I'm like, oh, I want that on a shirt. I just bought a polite menace bracelet, and yes. I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> so how did you come to your particular corner of art and fandom and business and quotes? It, um, <laughs> it was a weird journey to find this niche. I actually owned a brick and mortar store um, that was artisan jewelry, and I made my own jewelry, but I also bought jewelry from other artists, and so it was a cute little store. I opened my store in November of 2007. Anyone that's old enough will realize that by summer of 2009, lots of little small businesses were going, what just yeah. happened? Yeah. Um, in the meantime, I'm a nerd. I've been going to Comic-Con. Dragon Con was my home convention. Summer of 2008, as we started feeling things tighten up, we were at Dragon Con looking around at the vendor hall thinking, why isn't there anything more for women? Why isn't yes. there... There's, there weren't, I mean, there were costuming supplies and things, but there weren't a lot of things to express nerdiness. Yeah. Um, at the same time, Twilight was a thing. Oh. And I'm going to admit this out loud. Uh, but my friends and I were reading the books, enjoying the books, loving some of the quotes in the books. And I made some pieces um, to highlight those quotes because it's the words of course that that grab us right it's right. the and they stick in your soul and I didn't want something that was childish I didn't want some you know child's face on a necklace I wanted the words I wanted the quotes so I made more grown-up kind of jewelry yeah, um, and my friends loved it Kristen Stewart's face right I, exactly. I you're fine Kristen Stewart exactly. no offense Kristen Stewart I don't need a necklace of your face exactly so you know my friends loved it and my customers in my store loved it. And so kind of juxtapose walking into Dragon Con and looking around with what was happening there. And I thought, well, let's give this convention thing a try. And I did Dragon Con for the very first time in 2009. 
with a very small selection of things and it went well. And I, people started giving me ideas. I started, my, my art started um, improving, changing. Back then I made resin pendants. Today I do hand stamping. Um, so a lot of things have changed. But that was basically the beginning of what ultimately became what I do now. And that brick and mortar store closed in 2016. <laughs> and now here you are. And here I am. So of your own fandom, I know you mentioned Twilight before. We were talking about how your art really runs the gamut. You have classic books, you have musicals, you yes. have all, musicals new and modern. You got My Fair Lady right next to Dear Evan Hansen. So on this whole world journey of art that you have encompassed, is there a particular piece of your own fandom that has been really inspiring for your business or your marketing? Um, not, not so much my marketing. Like I love, I don't make anything I don't love. Yeah. So like what, the art hasn't inspired me as much as its effect on the people. Oh my god. That's that's that probably the easiest answer. thing for it's the easiest way for me to explain it because I've been doing this a long time and like this show I've been coming to since 2012. Yeah. I've had people at this show come and tell me when they were a little girl they came in my booth. Now they're grown and they're still coming in my booth. And they're still wearing the things they bought when they were little and they love them because whether that fandom is still a thing in their heart, the quote on it, or the, the experience of finding us and shopping and finding that thing that lights you up, that still matters to them. I have a family who comes and finds me at whatever con I'm at, and their little girl comes and gives me hugs every day because I talk to her about art and she loves art and she's so excited and they have me make custom things for them and seeing those people and watching their faces light up and watching them get excited about their fandom talking to people about books I love Sarah J Mass and a lot of her books people don't see a lot of that stuff and yeah. they they come in and they're like you have this and I'm like yes and let's talk about it and then we talk books and that more than any one fandom, it's that connection with the fans and that connection, seeing them connect to the art that I create with the words that they love. That's that's what is fun. That's wow. that's the part that hits me hard. I can't wait to take your pieces out into the world on my body. <laughs> thank, thank you so much for of sitting course. here with me today. And Absolutely. congratulations on another amazing show. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate you. Oh my gosh, I appreciate you. Right back. Hi, I am Minerva Fox. You can find me online on my store at artbyminervafox.com. You can find me on the social medias at blue underscore troller. That is blue like the color, underscore, not the dash. And then troller as in the thing that hunts kids, the goats, the billy goats bluff underneath the bridge, whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah that. But not a dash, an underscore. I love it. So how did you come to this beautiful intersection of art, business, and pop culture? Late stage capitalism, in a nutshell, yeah. way back when, when I was a kid, I drew a lot. I didn't like the, the end of The Little Mermaid, so I made my own story. Good. And then, the Little Mermaid is depressing. Yeah, the, the, the actual Little Mermaid, Hans Christian Andersen, yeah. Little Mermaid. And then it just, I kept on drawing. My parents said, yeah, you could totally do something with this. Got a, got a regular job, kept on doing it, could not, st would not stop drawing it. And I... Like, conventions are a thing, yep. and, uh, and when I realized that back in the 2000s, if you want to date me, that's, it's like, okay, I can do this, and then after fumbling and stumbling and then figuring things out, I'm like, okay, I got I got 
I'm, I am a, I am a machine, apparently. Yeah, yeah. And I will grind you. Yeah, I am a machine. Yeah, I am a machine on Tuesdays and Thursdays on Twitch. I, I live stream my art process, be it personal projects, co-creator, creator owned stuff, whatever. And yeah. I'm only using Twitch. Yeah. Heck yes. Yeah, heck yes. Edutainment, everyone. Edutainment. Yeah. So now that you have found your way out of, or still into late stage capitalism, but on this end of the world and making money and making a mark with your art, has there been a particular fandom or piece of pop culture that has been especially inspiring to your business? Yes. Pretty Soldier Sailor Moon, the oh, anime cool. and the manga by Naoko Takayuchi, released back in the early 90s and has, is still a phenomenon today. Yes, why? Because I saw that and I'm like, I want to be pretty and cute like Usagi-chan. And I drew her and I was like, oh, I can do this. And then DBZ came out and I'm like, I can do this. And I can't, like, I'm going to just keep doing this. Okay, well, I'm, yeah, just, I'm stuck. I can't do it. And then you refine, refine, refine. Exactly. Practice makes progress. Well, your work is absolutely gorgeous. Tell us again you can find you online. All right. All right. You can find me on artbyminervafox.com. On all the social medias, that is Twitch, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. There you go. <laughs> Blue underscore troller. Oh, yeah, sometimes YouTube when I have the time and capacity to do a YouTube video. Yeah, yeah, I never sleep. I'm always tired. Yeah. All right, well, I can't wait to see you on Twitch. Thanks so much for seeing that with today. Oh, man, yes. Hi, who are you? Hi, I am Red Harkinson of Red Den Studio. Yes, you so where you can find my art is either on my Etsy store, which is etsy.com slash shop slash Red Den Studio, or you can find me on Twitch where I teach people how to paint. On the most unbelievable end, you can also find a piece of your art in my home, but that's my invitation only. I'll just show up. So how did you come to this intersection, Red, of art and pop and all of this? So one of my earliest memories of making art as a kid was drawing all my friends as the Powder Puff Girls. And that's kind of how I got started, which is even funnier when you realize all my friends were dudes. They didn't quite like it, but you know, I kept <laughs> with it and I got a lot better throughout the years. Eventually I adapted into this Van Gogh style during the pandemic, because originally I was doing pointillism art, but it was starting to develop carpal tunnel. Yeah, I found that painting it killed my wrist. So I learned how to do impressionism as a means to continue my art and my skills. And since Van Gogh was always my favorite artist, I felt very inspired by him. And I found that I could still make a lot of art and put what I wanted into the world without affecting my health. Heck yes, prioritize yourself. If yeah. you can't do it, it can't be done, right? In your own fandom, I know you mentioned that you love Van Gogh, and you've got so many great pieces. There's a new like classic Nintendo piece that we got. There's a lot of Animal Crossing. Is there a business lesson that you yourself have learned from a piece of pop culture that you love? So I'm really into this series called Elden Ring and Dark Souls, and those games are famously known as difficult games. Mm -hmm. But the biggest lesson from those is you learn not to give up. You learn how to keep trying and you learn to re-strategize. If you find a way that doesn't work, that's not a failure. You just found a way that you need to change up your style. Maybe you need to find a new way to sell your artwork. 
I know that me changing my style several times throughout the years, finding painting was my way of not quitting art despite me being in pain, like dying in Elden Ring. You just get back up and you find a new way to tackle your boss. That is gorgeous. You're going to make me cry right now, Red. Uh, one more question for you. Yes, and dear. It's okay if you don't want to answer because I didn't tell you I was going to ask it. Um, you had disclosed to me that this is, you've done lots of smaller shows, but this is your first big, big show. Yes, I've only done three cons previously, but they've been smaller. This is my first big show, and there's a lot of people here. So, for other people that haven't taken that leap yet, do yes. you have any encouragement or advice for other people? It's definitely a leap of faith, but definitely it is worth it and to take it. Do your research to make sure it is, in fact, a big show that cares about its creators. But it is so much worth it. I found that a lot of the smaller shows aren't usually up to par with their marketing. These bigger shows, they put so much effort into that that you're almost guaranteed to succeed if you can make it there. And you said something so critical. They care about their artists. Yes. Not just a big show. A big show that has their shit together but also understand that you are valuable. That I am valuable. Heck yes. Thank you so much for your time, hey, Red. thank you. I appreciate it, love. Who the heck are you? Say your name, please. Hi, uh, my name is Rob Hogan. Uh, I'm an artist based in the Chicago area, and I'm currently at Fan Expo Chicago. Heck uh, yes, you are. I've, uh, I've done the Wizard Worlds in the past, but this is the first official Fan Expo that I've done. So we'll see how it goes. It's going to go great, and I didn't realize you were local. Yes, I'm local yep. too, so you'll have to come see the wall with the couch, with the art. Excellent. Listeners, you'll get it eventually. I We just bought a painting. It's a long story. We'll get there eventually. That's not what this interview is about. Rob, your art is so incredible in that it combines really recognizable classical art styles executed so beautifully, but then you put your own spin on it, not only with your art styling on top of it, or the addition of something like the black light paint that we talked about before, but how did you come to find your own style merging all these worlds? That's an excellent question. Now you get my life story. Yay. So, um, when I was young, I did have an aptitude for art uh, in high school and grade school, um, but I, um, I, in college, I had a rough experience with a professor mm -hmm. who was trying to teach me a lesson that I didn't get when I was younger by understanding now. Of course. And so when I was younger, um, you know, I was in college and I was a fine art major along with a lot of other majors. And um, I, I got frustrated because I would spend so much time working on these wonderful pieces and I get a B. And somebody would come in who was a business major and they get A plus for something that I felt was not to the standard of my work. No. And now I understand that the lesson that the professor was trying to teach me is that if you want to be a working artist, it's not how well you think the work is, it's how well whoever's going to pay you for it thinks it is. And so now I appreciate that lesson, but it took me a while to get here. So after undergrad, I ended up going and I worked in advertising as media buyer for a few years. When September 11th happened, it made me reevaluate my life and I wanted to do something more meaningful. So I went back to grad school for education. I worked in higher ed administration for about a decade. And I dealt with a lot of the crisis situations. Mm -hmm. So I get the 4 a.m. phone calls when somebody stabbed their roommate or over. Oh, yeah, great. Yeah. That sounds like a blast. And so I started my art practice as a form of self-therapy. Yeah. So I started doing a lot of pointillism. So I'd sit there and just put hundreds of thousands of dots on a sheet of paper and make the pain go away and forget everything. 
and I have one really bad semester, and at the time I was working at a school in Arkansas, and my whole family was going to Hawaii for Thanksgiving. And I, I had not made art for years. And so I went out there, and I'm like, you know what am I gonna do? I'm gonna send, I'm gonna make some art on the beach in Hawaii, get a sunburn in the process. And um, I pretty much sat on there, and I'm like, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna do pointillism. So I sat there, and I did pointillism for a long time. And can you actually hand me one of those business cards? I'm gonna show you right here, just so I know your audience can't see it. I can. Don't mind the, the paint on it. Holy But that is all That's dots. pointless? That's 300,000 dots approximately. It took me about 300 hours to do. Holy cow! And I made about two dozen of these. And that was my form of self-therapy. Well, now you have this unbelievable yes. uh, Grand Jot gone Marvel, yes. gone MCU. I love to see how it's evolved so, from this area of detail and care into something now that's all you. Yes, so... I did, I, I ended up slowly doing more and more art while I worked in higher ed. And yeah. eventually I said, I'm done dealing with the crisis. I'm done with the PTSD. I'm done with all of this. So I ended up leaving and I didn't have a job lined up. I was like, what am I going to do? I told people I need to get out of this field because, you know, as much as you work for the students, the bureaucracy is drowning. And so I, I figured out for myself that not everybody that works in higher ed has the students' interests in mind because a lot of people protect their own careers. Right. And so I can't deal with that kind of BS. So I ended up leaving and I bounced that bar. I drove for Lyft in Chicago. I was in the first pool of drivers for Lyft, an OG driver. And then I slowly worked my way into teaching the wine and paint canvas. Oh, neat! Yeah. And so, oh, that's a cool gateway. Yeah. And so what I ended up doing was I slowly started building this, and all of a sudden I'm like, I can make a career doing art, but it took a long time to do that. Right. And so I started teaching the wine and paint classes up when COVID happened. Um, at that point, it kind of shut everything down. But I had taught more than 1,000 classes in the Chicago area, and I taught literally tens of thousands of people how to make art. But one of the things that I got really good at with that is I would have to look at a sample painting, I would have to deconstruct it, and then reconstruct it in a way that was easily digestible to people to paint and reproduce that may not have any painting skills whatsoever. So that was like a really intense practice for me to learn how to become a good artist. Heck you yes. Know? And so at this time I was starting to develop my fine art career. And um, living in Chicago, there was an opportunity, there was a theater in Edgewater that was looking for artists to come out and do live painting during a production called Inventing Van Gogh. Amazing. Okay, and they wanted local artists come and paint. And I'm like, you know what, like it's not my style at this time. I moved on from the pointillism. I said, screw that, I'm tired of doing dots. Yeah, for you're like, enough hours. with the dots. And I moved to black and white minimalism, which I did for a couple years. Very kind of Banksy esque landscapes, um, cityscapes, but it was really quick, dirty, black and white minimalism. You know, take me 20 minutes to mm -hmm. make, not 20 hours. And then. Yeah, um, not 300,000 dots. Yes, and then at that point, going to do this uh, inventing Van Gogh, I'm like, well, I haven't really done much with acrylic paint. I'll get some acrylic paint and I'll try to paint Van Gogh style. But like, instead of doing landscape, let me try to do something different. I'll, I'll do a, um, I'll do C-3PO. And so I went and I combined C-3PO with the Van Gogh style. And this was back in 20, 
2011, 2012, something mm -hmm. like that. Um, so a decade ago, and people loved it. And then I just kind of started bridging these two worlds together, and I called it pop impressionism. So I go pop I impressionism. Pop impressionism. So I take pop culture and impressionism, and what I end and now up, you're the father of pop impressionism. Well, not no, because what I realized is I kind of wondered, am I the first person to do this? And what I realized when I started doing research is there were about five or six artists across the country that were doing things similar to me. But when I started talking to them, everybody developed this independently. And part of it, I think, was that there was a movement building combining pop culture with Impressionism. So the pop Impressionism, what, what I think happened is that around this time, all of a sudden, artists were starting to become pop culture characters. So not only was there artwork in our culture, but all of a sudden you had the Doctor Who episode with Van Gogh as a character. God, that Men episode. And Black 3 yeah. had um, uh, one of the agents was pretending to be Warhol, mm -hmm. and he was like, you got to get me out of here. I'm just throwing crap at the wall. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I put a banana up there, and people are like, it's art. <laughs> He's like, I don't know what I'm doing. And so what you end up having is that not only there art, but the artists themselves were becoming characters yeah. of pop culture and there's another theory to this getting back to my art practice as i started combining the pop culture with fine art um, as a way to continue my education as i mentioned working in higher ed i went in it to be an educator and i found out that i was becoming a paramedic police officer <laughs> lawyer crisis counselor crisis counselor everything but an educator but going and doing the wine and paint classes, I could just focus on the education aspect for adults. And so I took and started combining these two worlds as a way to continue my education about art in an easily digestible way to, to get that across through pop culture. And now another thing is, um, uh, you might be familiar with the con world in, in the Chicago area. In the um, late 90s, early 2000s, I got really involved with Anime Central. Cool. And at one point, I was vice chair in 2005. I ran the exhibit hall. I ran. I did a lot of stuff with that convention. And what I noticed is that when we began Anime Central, it was a French thing. People had to get anime from Japan, and they had to ship it, and it was all subbed and dubbed and bootlegged and all sorts of stuff. But then all of a sudden, our mission as Anime Central was promote Japanese culture through anime in the Chicago area. And the year that I was vice chair, we brought in the general consulate of Japan as a guest. And what? that year, um, the Indianapolis 500 did their intro sequences anime style. Oh, that's and bad. I was like, okay, we have succeeded in our mission because now this is making its way. Anime is making, and now you know anime is huge. Everywhere. You know? It's freaking and, everywhere. And we, I got we've got three conventions on it back to back now. And I got to see kids come in as young kids who were into this weird thing, Pokemon, that their parents were bringing in and they had no idea. But then those kids grew up and they started coming on their own and then they started having kids. And so I'm saying this all to, see, uh, to say that I was able to see how pop culture, things become pop culture, but they start in the fringe. Yes. They start in the outside. Yes. Some of those ideas die off. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. And I do um, uh, some furry cons too. And so like I see things in the fringe yeah. and some of those things matriculate into pop culture. And now 
where you're looking, anime is pop culture. It's like mainstream. What is the money maker for Hollywood? It's DC and Marvel and sci-fi. And it's all these things that at one point were fringe. And so um, getting into my art practice with the Impressionism, with the master artist, I use the pop culture references to help bring those fringe into the mainstream. Okay, because I did a, this whole series um, where I would paint portraits of cosplayers and a lot of cons I went to, I would actually do portraits of cosplay winners for the cosplay contest. That's amazing! As a, as as a, a prize, gift, as, as a, a prize. prize. And part of that series was called Fandom is the New Moulin Rouge. Aww. And the, you're going to make me cry. I'm very emotional now. With, I have a brain injury, so I, I, my emotions are all over. So if I start... I'm crying, always very emotional um, and I don't have a brain but, injury. But... Um, what you have is, um, you know, these cosplayers and the spectacle and the music and the culture. This is like the Moulin Rouge in the 19, in the 1870s, 1860s. Mm-hmm. And just like you had um, Van Gogh drinking absinthe at the Moulin Rouge and Trek is doing a portrait of him. I have an artist friend who's a successful comic artist. Every time I'm at a show with him, when all the artists are at the bar drinking, he sits there and he sketches everybody, you know? And I'm like, dude, you are like Trek. You're sitting at the Moulin Rouge and you're doing portraits of all your other people. Like, I had the opportunity a couple years ago to go to um, Amsterdam to the Van Gogh Museum. Oh, wow. Do you know, do you know that, well, uh, first off, some really interesting things about Van Gogh. He was in a sanitarium for a while and he really couldn't, like, paint like he couldn't get out of nature and paint anything so what he would do is he would get artwork from his favorite artist and he would emulate their artwork so he did fan art of fan his favorite art. that's artist. right it was fan art he did fan art he also art. had to paint with what he had which is why we got so much yes. yellow in all of those series because he had an abundance of yellow paint so he he would did fan art and then also him as contemporaries they did it's really hard to find on social uh, it's hard to find on a google search but him and his other artist buddies, they would do selfie portraits of each other. Yeah. So what they would do is one of them would paint and the other one style a portrait of like Van Gogh in the back. And then you got like Trek doing a portrait of him in the front. And so they were doing selfies. Okay. And I, I'm laying all this out to say that if Van Gogh and Trek and Surratt and all these people were alive today, they would be at these cons. Hell yes. And so, with the fandom as the new monster series that I did, what I'm saying is that the impact of the artists that you see at this con around you are going to be just as impactful in a hundred years as the Impressionists were for us. I agree. And so that was my whole series, the fandom is the Moulin Rouge, and that's why I now I'm able to, um, you know, as I was saying. Now I have the ability to be an educator and educate through my art. And that's why I don't sell online. I mean, I'll, I'll sell to people that contact me. Mm-hmm. But I like to have a um, uh, an encounter with everybody that buys my work so they know why I made it and how I made it and, uh, and everything behind it. And so, well, yeah, I so. can't wait to display a piece of yours in my home. I saw it from way, way, way over yonder and knew I had to have it. My name is Tabitha. I'm Hi. Tabitha. I'm the owner of Geeky Girl Stitches. I love your stitches, y'all. These keychains and other assorted baubles are absolutely fan freaking tastic. There's a Totoro with my name on it that soon will be mine. 
Tabitha, how did you come to be here at this intersection of art, pop culture, and business? So I was an embroiderer for years, just as a hobby, and then I found a friend that was doing a Pokemon, big Pokemon, when Pokemon Go went live, and said, hey, can you make us some stuff for this show? And I said, okay, sure. And I did a couple of their shows and sold out in 15 minutes of my items and met someone who worked in the comic book industry and they're like, we would like you at your Comic Con. And I got started seven years ago doing that and it's bloomed from doing like one show every quarter to I do a show every week. Wow! I don't think there's a better sign of like, this is working than selling out in 15 minutes. Yeah. You're like, okay, my Pikachus are gone. Yeah. I have found a calling. Uh, Do you yourself have a fandom that's especially important to you? Especially important, I'm a huge Star Wars fan, as you can tell by my shirt. Yep. Um, I love Ahsoka Tano, and Ashley is actually here. I've met her a couple times, but um, for me, I love doing the big fandoms like that, and then I love doing it in different versions. Mm -hmm. That way, I can give my art to other people. I love it. I love that. And you had a really amazing business lesson that you pulled out of all of this, but also out of fandom, uh, as a mother who also was doing all of this. Yeah, as a mom of three little ones, I learned that you have to stop and make time for yourself and your family. The business can wait. Yes, it's going to be late nights some nights, but you really have to stop and take that time for yourself and your family to keep yourself going. Absolutely, because if we burn out, art doesn't get made. If, if you burn out, you are in trouble and you're not going to get anything done. You're going to suffer, the business is going to suffer, and your family is going to suffer for it. Tabitha, tell us again where we can find you online. You can find me on Facebook at Geeky Girl Stitches, or I have a website, which is www.geekygirlstitches.com. It's currently on par for season. It's closed, so it'll be back up here soon once my once reign of shows, once I'm home. <laughs> Thank you so much for Thank coming Thank you. Today. Tina, I just walked by your table, and your art is simply stunning in its majesty and use of color. Holy cow, who are you, and where can we find your art online? I'm so glad you asked, because I love talking about myself. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So my name's Tina, uh, Tina Ritchie now. I got married last year. Tina Isola is the name of my brand. Uh, You can find my work at tinaisola.com. Isola translates to island in Italian. I'm trying to uh, form pictures of a place uh, to escape to, so that could be somewhere that my patrons want to escape to, it's definitely somewhere that I want to be. And that's kind of how I found myself um, creating these pictures specifically this year in my rebranding effort. Um, I'm doing conventions as a way to kind of, you know, get my work out there. Obviously, I'm trying to make money with it. Uh, But I found that at these events, um, my audience seems to be present, which uh, a lot of events I've worked in the past, it didn't quite seem that way. Of your people. This interview was temporarily interrupted so that she could make money. Hooray for money! So, uh, because that's what we're talking about. So, of the fandoms that are especially important to you, or the art and the pop culture that inspires you, is there a business marketing or sales lesson out of it that you've learned that has inspired you along the way? Oh, for sure. Um, I actually got a compliment earlier today on one of my pieces from Zelda Breath of the Wild. He told me that he chose uh, my piece of the other ones that are presented by other artists here 
because my work, um, it doesn't have that sort of product quality that um, a lot of fan art has when you see it, when it's like a character in a pose or something like that. Uh, I try to make my fan art, even if it is of a character that's not mine, look original. And I try to make it look like an art piece rather than a, uh, you know, a product of a different brand. So that is definitely something I've been learning along, along the way. And I guess long story short, make it your own. Make it your own. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Fantastic. Well, thank and, you so much. And keep it relevant. Oh, please keep it relevant. Yes. <laughs> we need it. We need it to be relevant. If there's something that's popular, if you hate it, don't do it. If you could love it, find out if you can love it. And then do what you love about it. Right. No need to propagate the stuff you hate. Yeah. Only no the stuff that. you love. Yes. For sure. Like Zelda. Like Zelda. Yay! <laughs> thank you so much for talking to me today, yeah. and I hope you have a great Sunday. Thank you, Annie. You too. Hello. And who the heck are you? Hi, my name is Tony Moy. I'm a watercolorist and a comic book artist. And you can find me online uh, streaming my watercolor art on YouTube, under Paint Bros, on Twitch, under Tony Moy, um, on Webtoons, under the 442nd uh, Lost Battalion webcomic, web and Instagram, under Tony underscore Moy, and everywhere else. You just Google Tony Moy, and I'm the one that comes up. You that comes up. I can vouch. That is very true. There is only. There can be only one. There is only. One. There is only one. You don't even have to have a Highlander. Either. All right. There's All right. Okay. One. Well, if there was. If there was. I'm sorry if you're listening and your name is Tony Moy. Yes. You have been I will replaced. Be coming for you. Yes, you've been replaced. Get in line. So your work, you're so known for your extremely beautiful, ornate, lush watercolors. But your inspirations are drawn all across fandom, plus now with your new project, specifically looking at stories of formerly interned uh, soldiers during World War II. How did you pull all this together, art, pop, culture, business, history, into your own style? Style is uh, basically every an aggregation of your influences. So the more, the more influences you have, um, the more you kind of pull in, and these were just my interests. I always had a fantasy interest in playing D&D, and I, I enjoyed Star Wars and sci-fi, and I grew up on comic books, and they're, they're, they're key issues and episodes and characters um, of comics in my youth that, that just influenced me so much that, you know, I kind of want to be a part of that world, to be able to give back, you know, um, to whatever the next generation is or the people out there, the fans, uh, because they impacted me. They, they changed who I am and who I wanted to be, right? Um, and as much as we say our heroes are my dad or, uh, you know, um, some famous people, like mine, mine were Spider-Man, mine were uh, the X-Men and everything else like that. And so when it came time to sort of throw my hat in the ring, I just pulled on things that I really enjoyed. Uh, I, I do feel that uh, comics is a vehicle, or can be a vehicle for, for change. Um, when I was growing up, uh, the X-Men brought up so many different uh, social issues, but framed it in, in sort of a mercurial way, right? With, uh, uh, you know, instead of social issues, concerning ethnicity, it was social issues concerning who has powers and who doesn't. Right. Right? 
and, and, and that impacted me. And I always wanted to be a part of a, a story and to be able to tell a story, whether it's through my art or otherwise, that had that same process. And I think finding watercolor is a, is a medium um, helps do that. There, there's a certain, uh, people see it and viscerally, they know that it's chaotic, but it's controlled and, and it's not this digitized uh, uh, process that, processed art, right? And so by that virtue, I got a little lucky and my, my art stands out a little bit um, just, by, just because it's what I like to do. And taking that to my current project on the 442nd, the Japanese Americans who became the most decorated battalion in all of U.S. history, that, that, was a, that was a story I just stumbled upon because I enjoy documentaries and I, I enjoy looking back at reading little bits of history. And ironically, this was a bit of history that I never knew, right? I, we all knew of the, uh, the internment camps. But hopefully. Hopefully. If you, if you don't, you know, it, it, it's, uh, it's a, it was a, one of the darker days of our history. Um, but I never knew up until a little over a year ago that um, that the Japanese Americans went off and actually fought and we're, ama were an amazing battalion the most decorated 14,000 Japanese Americans earning over 18,000 medals you know do the math a little bit and you'll you'll see every single one of them was a was a hero in their own way and to be able to be a part in trying to tell that is, is, is sort of I guess my responsibility when I came down to the end of it, you know, um, I was complaining why no no one knew about it and and why it wasn't out there more. Uh, but and you're like, wait, wait a second, I, I I'm I'm at this weird nexus where this this confluence of, of skill sets where I've done comics. My medium of my choice is 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 very very strongly tied and linked to the Japanese culture. Watercolor in the Japanese culture is, is pretty tight. And, and my, my interest in, in just burying my head into a topic or a subject, you know, uh, it helps out. And so I kind of looked in the mirror and said, hey, instead of complaining about something, maybe you can do something about maybe it. Maybe you're the one that can educate the people. Maybe I can do something and educate people. And, and you are. You're bringing webtoon yeah. of all places. Yeah, putting it out there not yeah. and then putting it out there for free, right? Uh, I figure if, if the goal is, you know, to get more people to know about it, why would I try to put more barriers, you know, get them to have to drive to a comic shop maybe one day or buy something? I could put it online. It can get on their phone or their tablet. Everyone has a phone. Everyone has a tablet. Everyone has a data plan. So go and read it. And if you don't like it, that's okay. But th that, that was sort of the uh, triggering factor for me. And I was like, okay, let's throw my hand in the ring. Let's not worry about things and just do it. Well, and it goes to show your point at the beginning, right? Your influences are your influences. Yes. And they can come and should come mm -hmm. from anywhere that you're inspired mm -hmm. to go. And yeah. if, you have a plat if you have a platform yes. and your work is known, yeah. you can do something that no one else has done before. Yeah. So, first of all, thank you for being a friend of my entire extended family. Oh, sure. And second thank of you. all, thank you so much for answering my questions no, today. No, absolutely.
hey there. Y'all, I can barely draw a circle successfully, so you can imagine how flabbergasted I was by the sheer amount of art at Fan Expo Chicago. You just heard from 14 artists, all with heaps and heaps of gorgeousness to contribute, but it would take literal months for me to interview all the makers represented, not to mention all the comic book stores and toy vendors. I didn't even get to them, but more on that later. Hint, hint. But in that veritable sea of wonder surrounded by other people's accomplishments and people paying top dollar to validate celebrities, you know what I never felt? Inadequate? or jealous, or left out. I practically eat FOMO for breakfast, so this kind of astounded me. Why did I feel so good? Why wasn't comparison disease banging down my door? It was because of the common thread I heard from these artists all weekend long. There's room for you here. I could wax poetic for an eon about the importance of belonging in service and community-based businesses, but this was beyond that. Hidden underneath each interview, I heard the artists issue invitation after invitation. Make your presence known. Create something. Claim space in our collective. Take risks. Trust your process. Keep evolving. And for all these possible invitations, there was only one restriction. Just don't show up with the same old shit as everybody else. If I saw one Stormtrooper print, I saw a million. Sure, but there were glitter ones or on the toilet or mashed up with another fandom or printed on an indestructible plastic that makes this cool wobbly noise when you shake it. That's not to mention all the Stormtrooper jewelry, candles, tea, keychains, quilts, underpants, leggings, sheet music, baby onesies, on and on. But you can't just say, oh, another stormtrooper, because everybody brought their own voice to the chorus and everybody got to love what they love with other people that love it. And isn't that just fucking lovely and getting paid for that? Wow. That's the dream. So, in honor of our first live episode, I am issuing the very first Pop Yourself Challenge. Your homework this week is to go check out the artists and blow up their social media with love. And while you do, I want you to ask yourself how fandom has impacted your own business. It doesn't have to be current. You can Jones for Stravinsky or Jane Eyre or season one of Lost, whatever. But find a way to incorporate it visually, textually, or conceptually with your work this week. Where will your own pop culture spin take you? I can't wait to find out. But don't just put it in an email. Come on, give it a little effort. Huge thanks to the artists who gave me their time, their brilliance, and their enthusiasm amid a busy con. Again, check out the visual companion to this episode in the show notes to see all the art mentioned and more. And a big giddy gratitude goes out to Jerry Milani and the Fan Expo PR team for letting me run around and collect these interviews dressed like Grandma Yetta from The Nanny. Fan Expo puts on a hell of a show, y'all. I highly recommend going and not even mentioning the whole next season of 2023. They are headed to Boston and Toronto in August and Edmonton, Dallas, and San Francisco before the end of 2022. You can find more information about all these events at fanexpohq.com. 
<sighs> Again, I fully recommend it for the zaniness, the camaraderie, and yes, of course, the art. But for heaven's sake, dress up and make the most of it. As the incredible Rob Hogan said to a customer while I was eavesdropping, life is like art. We don't get an eraser. Just do what you can to get it right the first time. Hey, thanks for listening. Too Legitimate to Quit is brought to you by the Non-Sleazy Sales Academy and me, your host, Annie P. Ruggles. Listen, we talk a lot about marketing on this show, and that's because I fully, earnestly believe that every dime and every moment we spend marketing is totally worth it unless we turn around and sabotage ourselves at the finish by refusing to sell and sell beautifully. Why? A lot of us have a misconception of what selling actually requires of us or who it needs us to be. Please give me the opportunity to help change your mind at www.nonsleazy.com. That's N-O-N-S-L-E-A-Z-Y.com. Big shout out to the fabulous dudes who help make this show what it is. My producer and editor, Andrew Sims of Hypable Impact. My composer, Riley Herbastio and my show artist, Francois Vigneault. They're all fabulous, and I'd be glad to introduce you. Until next week, just do your best, and remember, you're too legitimate to quit.